0: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody-Thordis, Arts-Based Community Development Director with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with Oxford artist, Andy Bedsworth. Andy, thanks so much for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Happy to be here.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit about um, your work as a fiber artist, but before we get into the details, let's start back at the beginning. So um, tell me, you know, where did you grow up?
1: Yeah, I grew up, I was born in Texas, but I moved there. Um, I moved from there when I was quite young. So I really grew up in Louisiana in the Baton Rouge area, really spent most of my all schooling there, most of it. So 28 years really in the Baton Rouge area. Okay, and did you um, did you go to college there? Did you so I did go to undergrad at LSU. It wasn't my first choice, but I got a full ride, you know, to do theater, which is what I wanted to do. And so, um, and I wasn't quite sure by the time I graduated from high school, I didn't think I wanted to perform. But I had the scholarship, and so I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and have fun. And I got to the to LSU, and as part of my scholarship, they said, oh, you get a work-study job. And I was like, oh, awesome. And they said, you can pick costume, set, or lighting. And lighting seemed intimidating because you had to um, climb ladders and be up in high spaces. And – set design seemed out of my element and by this point i had been sewing since i was 14 i made like all my i made my clothes i made like my little prom dresses and stuff so i was like well i know how to sew put me in the costume shop you know and they did and by a uh, spring break of my freshman year i i didn't know costume design was a job you know like a profession <laughs> i was like i remember telling um the shop manager i was like i think this is the perfect career for me and she was like i think you're right and that was all she wrote that i was off doing like internships in the summer and studying costume design making costumes so you unintentionally got into costume design you know what? What you i say? unintentionally got into a lot of things and that's sort of a through line throughout my life actually <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Costume. I was really in, in under in high school. I went to performing arts high school, Baton Rouge Magnet High School, and we didn't have any like football or anything. It was all art. So it was like it was like the high school from fame. And I had always wanted yeah. to go. Right. So I was so excited for PE. I studied ballet. And for four years I did theater. And so there were times during that part that if you had asked me, I had wanted to be a performer. But by the time I hit my senior year I was very willing to be backstage more I was like I don't want all the people tell me my voice isn't right or my body isn't right or I just want to do something related to the performing arts but I wasn't quite sure so landing in the costume shot was sort of the perfect fit for me. So. Uh, You said you already knew how to sew, so when did did. you learn how to sew? I learned, and this is kind of a funny story, because my mom always sewed. Um, And so I grew up in a crafting household, right? And sewing, crafting, there was always a needle and thread. We were always gluing stuff, making stuff. You know, my mom would make, like, you know, Christmas decorations out of bleach bottles. You know, it was like that kind of household, right? You know, so then... I wanted to learn how to sew. I was probably seven or eight, and I had a a shaving Ken doll. I don't know if you were alive in the 70s, but I had this shaving Ken doll I got for Christmas. And he had just some pants on. And I don't even remember that he came with a shirt. And um, I was upset because my Barbies all had cool clothes, and I wanted to make some new outfits for Ken. So I asked my mom if I could sew some, and she said, yeah. And so I proceeded to take two rectangles and sew a line through the middle and up the two sides. And she said, that's not going to work, Andy. I said, it's going to work. It's going to work. I can do this. Well, of course, it didn't work, and it wasn't a pair of pants. I was very frustrated. And my mom said that I didn't have any patience, and I was never going to learn how to sew. So, (laughs) grade and I signed up for home ec. that was back when they still had home ec in Louisiana and I took home ec. the first semester was um cooking and second semester was sewing and I sewed a pair we had to also a blazer and a pair of pants and I remember I made we all had to make the same thing I made my blazer and my pair of pants and I it was very frustrating. and But I wore them to school. And I remember my friends saying, I wouldn't wear that. They wouldn't wear theirs. They were like, they're bell bottoms. Because they weren't the pegged pants. They were just straight leg pants. But I was like, I put all this work into it. I'm wearing my outfit. And then I took a little break probably about 6 months and then I started wanting some things of my own some clothes and I thought well it was expensive to get them in the store so that I could make them and that was the end then I was making all kinds of stuff shorts and dresses and then prom stuff I mean I really got into it I was like you know really so and mom helped me cuz by then I was willing to listen to her advice you know <laughs>
0: So maybe <laughs> she saw you were interested, maybe saw that you had gained some patience and said, yeah, "Okay, I'll meet you halfway."
1: And and I wasn't, you know, I never did make a pair of pants for kid. You know, I mean, he's out there somewhere in a landfill with no no pants, but I did make clothes for the barbies.
0: Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because this was I mean, you know, when I was a kid, it was this way as well. Like the the Barbie came with the the stack of clothes, you know, I guess now they they come. I think each Barbie has its own clothes. I don't know. Uh, This one
1: just came with an outfit and then you were now you could buy the girl clothes at Mm -hmm. Howard Johnson's a little. So but you could not they didn't have any kin clothes. So a blazer seems really difficult. You know what? I look back at that, and I'm like, what was that teacher thinking? Because not only was it a blazer, but the pants were a three-casing elastic, which I know probably doesn't make any sense. But if you think about that you, your pajama pants have one elastic or drawstring in them, think if they had three, okay? Yeah. And it was crazy hard. And I didn't do another three casing elastic until like three years ago, you know, in my 40s, you know. So I'm not sure why she thought that was a beginner project. Because you were in eighth grade? I was in eighth grade, yeah. Wow, that's... Now, it wasn't a structure blazer. It wasn't like, you know, um, but still, yeah, it was, I look back at that now. Now that I sew well and I'm a sewing teacher and I'm like... Oh, my goodness. We should have just made, like, pajama pants, you know, or mm-hmm. shorts. Like, that was a very intense project. It was, like, throwing you guys into the deep end a little bit. <laughs> it like really learning was. And I don't fun. even know if any of the other kids still sew because they were, like, they wouldn't wear their outfit. Maybe that was the sign, yeah. When yeah. you were the only one wearing I was, like, outfit. I'm wearing. And it was not a pretty outfit, you know, because I had messed it up and I'd re-sewn it. Mm-hmm. But. I was like, I put a lot of work into that.
0: You know? Yeah, you know, I when I was a kid I convinced my mom to add some pants, a pant leg I had taken off one of my pants and jeans and add it as a arm to a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> And she refused for so long, I guess, to spare me future embarrassment. (laughs) Um, And I finally convinced her to let Uh me to do it and then wore the outfit together, you Uh know. Of course, opposite like opposite right. arm with right. uh, opposite you know. leg. Yeah, it sounds fabulous. Thank actually. you. <laughs> um, and I think she was most shocked that I had no qualms about wearing. Right. I wore it with pride. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. I thought I asked you to do it for a reason. I'm right. not right. nervous about <laughs> what right. it's going to look this is like. My style. Yeah. I feel yeah. great about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but yeah, she still gives me a hard time about.
1: That. <laughs> My mom and I laugh all the time now because I've made my living for 20 years (laughs) sewing. I mean, I still kind of do, you know, and so we laugh about it. I never was going to have patience to learn how to sew. (laughs) So, okay, so you're in Louisiana. What brings you to Oxford? The job at the theater department. So... After I worked, after I graduated from undergrad in 93 at LSU with theater, and it was like an emphasis in costume design, I made my way over um, to freelancing, um, and I would freelance for, you know, I worked at a children's theater there um, for three years as their resident designer. I sewed bridesmaids' dress, fishing nets for the agricultural department, at um, LSU I did all kinds of stuff uh, dance costumes and eventually I landed the job of the costume shop manager at LSU where I had been an undergrad my friend who was there at the time she quit and she said why don't you apply you would be great and so I I did that and I was there for seven years and realized that there was sort of a ceiling if I didn't have that MFA. You know, I was always going to be a shop manager, which was okay, but I wanted to design and I wanted to be able to teach. So I ended up at Tulane. Um, for my master's degree, and I knew we knew that we were just going to stay at Tulane for the three years for me to get my master's degree, and then I was going to get a job in academic theater, and um, the job I got was here at Ole Miss in the theater department, in 2004, and so though it was really hard to leave New Orleans, I was excited about coming to Oxford, and so
0: when you got the job in the theater department, um at Ole Miss that was in costuming
1: yes yes so I was it was not just a shop manager job it was a shop manager job plus a teaching job which is what appealed to me so I would be teaching patterning and draping and how in the actual construction of the costumes as well as running the shop so it was sort of a step up from what I had at LSU so I was really excited about coming to do that
0: so tell me about some of your favorite um, shows or some of your favorite costumes that you worked at worked on during that time period
1: um we did some really amazing great fun shows at Ole Miss some of the fun the ones I enjoyed the most really were um some of the dance pieces there was a dance teacher there who did some dance pieces and I also really enjoyed working um I did some work um some design work at um for Tulane I mean not Tulane Ole Miss I guess it was called the Oxford Shakespeare Festival that was here for about 10 years and I did Romeo and Juliet and the complete works of Shakespeare here and I had a really good time on that and then of course as being shop manager all the shows were fun in some way because they were all different you know I used to say my job was so fun because in six weeks it would change. you know we'd be doing a different show and so the whole sort of theme and idea and even the kind of construction work we were doing was completely different on each show that's nice that um, to have that variety. It was really fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. We're recording at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. I'm Melody Moody-Thordis with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'll have more for my conversation with guest Andy Bedsworth after the break. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today I'm talking to visual artist Andy Bedsworth. So, Andy, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your art and fiber arts in general. So uh, before we talk about your artwork, tell our listeners what fiber arts is for someone who might not know us using that term.
1: Okay, so fiber arts can be a lot of different, there's a lot of like subcategories of that. So knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, weaving, felting, dyeing fabrics. Um, There's a lot of different types of fiber arts that are encompassed in that. And then some people just mismatch a lot of it together, which is a little bit more um, close to what I do, I add some mixed media into my fiber arts as well.
0: Okay, so tell me, so so describe for me some of the
1: art that you do in, in fiber arts. Okay, so when I first started doing, I'd say I probably started doing what I would consider like my artwork, probably in and. Eight. It's probably when I started I was you know sewing a lot during the day in the costume shop and teaching and I think in the evenings I wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily like what I did at work but still creative you know so I started making collages and things and I would put papers and wood pieces and gears and junk metal and photographs and I would glue them to canvases And then I would embellish that with hand stitching, because I still was attracted to the whole sewing process. And then for a little while, I kind of got away from the sewing on the work completely and was just making collages, you know, Um, but there was something about the sewing process that's... Um, real appealing to me particularly the hand sewing process I really like to do that embroidery work and cross stitch and so now a lot of times I will paint something on a canvas like a background and then I will attach fabric pieces to make a picture or a composition and then I will hand stitch those pieces down um, to further embellish it and then I may add some ink and paper and and other things to it but even some of my later work has just become a lot of it can just be stitching to just fabric and hand stitching and not the paint it's sort of morphing you know and it changes as I mm-hmm. depending on what I'm doing because I'm teaching all the time different classes to children and adults I get inspired by random things and so I'll, and that gets incorporated into my artwork you know if we're studying an artist I may Get inspired by a technique and throw that into my own artwork.
0: So typically with your art, is it are you then framing it or are you using it? You know, when I think of five arts, I think well, like Colter Folsler, for example, um, you know, does great some great quilting work. um, Artist in um, Water Valley, and you know, her art then you use. So, so I was just curious is there any is there any art that you make that then you use
1: as so when I'm making like clothes and stuff obviously but the artwork no, it it gets hung usually okay. and so if they're on canvases already the stretched canvases like I sew straight through the the stretched canvases uh-huh. I don't have an art background, per se. I have a design background. So I did have to take art classes in grad school, but I didn't learn how to, you know, stretch canvases and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So I buy them already stretched, and then I sell them. Then those, they just hang the way they are. Um, But if I'm working on something else, like it's a fabric piece or a paper piece, I will frame it. Um, And then sometimes I incorporate it into, like, a, a wall quilt, too. So there are different things that I've done it just depends on what the piece calls for. Have you done have you done much quilting? So that's interesting because my mom is a big quilter and I had I've done a couple baby quilt things and a couple things for friends and family if they want just basic things Um, but I have been going with my mom to the International Quilt Festival for three years now. I got funding through MAC to go and take classes and so I just made my first like mom's like it's not your first quilt but it's my first like sort of official quilt from a pattern you know like uh-huh. a real I was following templates and directions and now I'm working on my second one so I have been doing a lot more of that because it's sort of like is very inspiring when you go to these quilting conventions and there's and fiber art is so varied they're not just your traditional quilts people are painting on them and Doing all kinds of cool embroidery. It's pretty fascinating what you can do with them.
0: Yeah, I'm real fascinated by that. My great grandmother was a was a master quilter, and she, you know, she's in all these magazines and all her work, and it's yeah, it's it's embroidered on. And then the one the one quilt I have of hers, I'm so fascinated with that. I guess it was pieces and parts that her and her friends would sending the mail to each other so that they had different pieces to yeah, work from people
1: do that they swap like i i've been going to our local quilt guild and like we all made blocks the other day using this technique i had never done it before and then we they raffled off like they just called someone's name and so i ended up with like 14 blocks that everybody had done so i'm like what so i guess i have they're like oh can't wait to see what you do with it you know so i have to come up with something that was but, the yeah.
0: raffle like you won the raffle and that was
1: <laughs> yeah. and it was
0: a culmination
1: of, of well, everyone's blocks that is fascinating It's a hilarious yeah yeah so i'm kind of like i don't know what i'm gonna do with this but so I'm communal gonna, yeah it is at the, the quilting seems to be that way the mm-hmm. quilting community seems i think to, it just yeah. always has been always has been because <laughs> women would get together and help each other their hand quilt their quilts yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah I was always I, I was always very fascinated by it I've never I've never tried it but my great-grandmother she moved to a smaller house and but she was so into it that she had one of those quilting things that you raised it on the ceiling yes, so that yes. she could use the room I've seen those right and then yeah. bring it back down so she could quilt yes. and I always just thought that was so <laughs> it blew my mind as a young kid just yes. like looking up and the quilts on the ceiling and couldn't believe That's pretty
1: that's pretty awesome. Yeah, my mom just used a hoop and I have a hoop too that I just uh-huh. use, you know, cuz I did not do I haven't done any big scale things.
0: Oh, like I see. Yet. I see. So yeah, it's I don't know anything hoop, about it. Yeah. yeah. I so you're doing one section at a time. I do one really. section
1: at a time. Yeah. I see.
0: Tell me more about some of the teaching that you've done.
1: I am like a mobile teacher that's where the art to go came from because i interviewed all these people who had businesses and they all said don't get a storefront just like do your thing you don't have to get a place to teach move around to different schools um and so that's really what i do i teach on any given day several places like today i taught this morning at oxford park commission class of they're like um 40 and up they call it senior lifestyles and leisure or whatever 40 and up yeah I know we were like what but anyway so um but most of the most of the ladies in there are retired Mm -hmm. okay so they range from um their 50s to I had one lady who was in her 90s who comes and then we also I teach and then Later this afternoon, I'll teach at the Montessori School. I teach adjunct at Northwest Community College here in Oxford. I teach theater appreciation, which I love. That still keeps me in the theater game. Monday, I was teaching at the Powerhouse, um, a camp for President's Day. I will teach lessons, usually five to seven lessons, private lessons in my studio. And And what kind of classes are these? So those range from um, the lessons, some of those are sewing lessons. And then some of them are private art lessons. It just depends on what the person wants to learn and then mainly the classes I teach out in the public are art though I do teach some sewing classes I'm teaching a fiber art surface design for adults so we're mainly doing a lot of dyeing and painting techniques on fabric and that's on Wednesdays at the powerhouse. So it just really, every day, my boyfriend's like, I don't ever know what you're doing each day. And I'm like, I don't either until I look at my planner, and it tells me where I go each hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Because it's different. Every couple hours, I'm in a different location, you know. Have you ever done shibori? Um, So that's hilarious because my mom and I were very interested in shibori. And so we went to a demo at the International Quilt Festival and it looked so complicated that we were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't get into this. And then (laughs) last year we went to a shibori workshop on accident because we we were so tired. You walk around and we were like, we got to rest our feet. So we sat down and the title of the workshop was pole dancing. Because apparently shibori is done on these PVC Uh poles. And so the woman (laughs) was really funny and kept emphasizing the pole dancing aspect of shibori dying. And again, we thought maybe we will try shibori. But um, it looks really cool. That's one of the dying techniques that I actually haven't done yet that I would probably like to do. But it seems very um, labor-intensive.
0: You know, I took shibori classes in, in uh, high school, and that's why I asked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just kept taking the shibori class over and over. What a over cool high school you over. had that yeah. you got
1: to take shibori. Yeah. What? Well, it was called shibori
0: and beads, and for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, it's a dyeing technique. So some of the – maybe it was our age, maybe it was sh- sh- um, shibori itself, but a lot of stuff did end up looking kind of just tie-dyed. So uh-huh, to just give uh-huh. people a, right. a visual. We all did the tie-dye. Our teacher wanted us to do the more traditional, you know, navy and and stuff like that. But the class was called Shibori and Beads, and half the semester was Shibori and half the semester was beadwork. And I hated beadwork so much, but I loved the the Shibori that I just kept taking it as an elective over Uh and over and just... Getting through the beadwork part. Getting through the beadwork.
1: I would say I also prefer dyeing to beadwork. I've done a little bit of both, but I do prefer. And I will do a little bit of the beadwork, but I do prefer the
0: dyeing is so Uh fun it's so fun and I like I love like not quite knowing what you're gonna get
1: that's what the best part is like sometimes you're like that's awesome and then sometimes it's not so awesome so you just put it back in the dye pot with it and you're like we're gonna make it awesome right exactly Yeah, I'm
0: very much a planner so I think I really loved that yeah, you had to let it dry, I guess, for or soak Yeah, for, I think, 24 hours at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was just kind of like, well, I've done what I can do. We'll see what it we'll is tomorrow. We'll see what it you is know?
1: tomorrow. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think that's what I like And then the there's best. the big reveal. You yeah. Know? yeah.
1: You're like, yes!
0: And you're right. There's a big reveal, but then you're also, like, never quite done. Like, you could dye it all over you again, could again if you over dye it. it yes you could yeah. bleach it and you then, then dye it, and dye it. And dye it again <laughs> right. I, so
1: many times have i stripped fabric that didn't dye well and then re-dyed it yeah
0: yeah, I, I hope, I hope, I hope somehow our conversation inspires someone out there who is afraid of trying something like that, or maybe they know how to sew but haven't quite taken that into, you know, art.
1: Right. That, yeah. that
0: maybe they'll they'll explore that because I'm I'm wanting to get back into dyeing fabric just from our conversation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we dyed the other day. We dyed wool. I learned how to dye wool with Wilton food coloring. Oh, Melody, it's easy. You and it's whole. It, it, it does because you put you put vinegar in it, mm. and um, half vinegar, half hot water with the dye. Mix the dye in there, the Wilton food color, basically, mm-hmm. and you put the wool in there, and then you just uh, line dry it, and then heat set it with an iron or your dryer. Okay, I
0: was always afraid to use food coloring because I was worried that the vibrancy wouldn't come out, but the vinegar seems it's like it's very
1: vibrant. Secret. It comes out really almost more. I think it looks more vibrant than like the Rit dye or the. T- Mm-hmm. Tulip dye because a lot of that washes out, but the vinegar and that you have to use salt like writ dye, you use salt with because those are like cotton, so it's different. You know, it gets kind of technical with mm-hmm. but with the animal protein, it being wool, being animal, you use vinegar and it comes out really great. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's
0: the thing that's always drawn me. I'm a painter, and it's colors. I just love colors, I yes. love to work with colors, and so I think yes. that's what really. Uh, intrigued me about dyeing yeah. <laughs> things. Yeah, you really... and it's
1: so fun to dye with the wilt, because there's lots of different colors of wilt and food coloring, mm-hmm. and it's not expensive, and it's not toxic, you know? It's mm-hmm. not like you need a respirator and all that.
0: Well, it also sounds like it'd be a great kids project. I mean, if you, if it's not expensive, right. and you can kind of, you know, do you ever you, you teach
1: children as well? You I think? teach a lot of children as uh-huh. well. Yeah, I haven't done that technique with the kids, but we did this summer. We had a tie dyeing, like we did a summer camp it was like a three-day camp and we tie-dyed and we did we did all kinds of color exploration but we tie-dyed shirts and that was it looked like a rainbow had exploded in the room
0: (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure well you're listening to the mississippi arts hour on mpb radio i'm melody moody thortis with the mississippi arts commission after a short break we'll continue our conversation with my guest andy bedsworth Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today I'm speaking with Oxford-based artist Andy Bedsworth. So Andy, before the break, we were talking about um, the different types of fiber arts, from dyeing. And so I want to talk a little bit more about the Fiber Arts Festival. Okay. So tell
1: me how that started, what it's like. I did not start the festival i inherited the festival i now coordinate it but in 2011 there was a partnership between the yatna arts council and the university museum the university museum was bringing in g's bends quilts mm-hmm. and um they asked if the arts council would have some sort of programming with it so wayne andrews at the yatna arts council got in touch with the ladies who owned Knit One Oxford, it was a local yarn shop, and they put together this festival, and I remember going to the first one and thinking, this is so great, I called my mom, and was like, this is amazing, they had Angora bunnies, and they had people showing how to spin yarn, and dyeing, and all kinds of fabrics, and things to buy, and products made from fabrics, and then products just to make your own things, it was really interesting, a few years after that, um, they asked me to be a vendor. And so for f- several years, I would sell my sewn items, uh, not just my artwork, but I would also sew funky needle holders and pincushions and different things. And my mom quilts a lot, so she would do it with me. And she would come in from Baton Rouge and sell her, you know, baby things, blankets she made and quilts and all kinds of fun stuff. Then we got a little notice, I want to say three years ago, after the Fiber Festival, the ladies wrote and said, okay, we're done, that was the last one, and we were all like, what? And I wrote Wayne at the Arts Council, he said, yeah, I don't want to be done. I was like, me neither. Um, So they figured out a way to hire me part-time just to coordinate the festival and what's the best part about the festival well there's lots of great parts about it but it's in january every year at the end of january so it's cold there's not a whole lot of fun things to do right um and this is a great way for families and just individuals to come out and spend the weekend and learn about all the different types of fiber arts Um, shop there's activities we have we have almost 30 classes over you know three days where people can learn everything from um, making um, beaded you know knitted beaded bracelets needle felting paintings uh, needle felting little creatures and dolls spinning we had several spinning classes one on the wheel one on the drop spindle lots of weaving classes um We've had quilting classes in the past. We had two natural dyeing classes this year, um, knitting, crocheting, and sort of every sort of variation of knitting and crocheting. So lots of really cool classes. We had a uh, we always have a, a lecture um, a guest lecturer come in and lecture about something can be. We've had a famous weaver through the university. They always still partner with us. This year they brought in a textile conservator who came in and talked to us about things you could do to preserve your old linens and you know baby clothes and all that kind of stuff for coats and she answered people brought in stuff you know that they had questions so it's always just a super fun and did you, you say know. it's three days so it's um we usually set up on a thursday and open late thursday and have a reception thursday and then we run all day friday saturday and sunday Okay, so you said classes, vendors, and just open to all ages. All ages. We have kids' activities usually on that Saturday, and uh, we have animals. So we've had alpacas and llamas and sheep and goats, you know, animals that the kids can learn that their fiber comes from these animals. And when they give them a haircut, then it can become yarn and then come an outfit. So that's really cool. The kids all love that.
0: Oh, yeah, that's so cute. You have the softest animals
1: out there. Yeah, 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 the sweetest little softest animals out there. The kids love that, and the parents love that they're learning something, too. And lots of ladies come, men do, too, and come and take classes. They'll come from out of town and take classes for the whole weekend. You know, they'll take a class every day you know or two classes a day and they just make a weekend of it you know and shop and because we have vendors from all over we have vendors who come from tennessee oklahoma texas alabama louisiana so you know it's their time to people to shop you know things that you can't get everywhere oh yeah absolutely
0: and i think that particularly for fiber arts the classes are so valuable i know for me i tried to teach myself crocheting and just wasn't why getting it you know and i went and took a class at the mississippi crafts festival um museum and and it was just like a small little thing that i was doing but i just needed someone to show me in in person to
1: show you how to do it part we have a Mm -hmm. lot of people like i bought a spinning wheel and i try to show myself how to do it on youtube but you know it's like you need someone it helps and then they they're right they're doing it and then they go home and they have the skill that they can use, you know. So, most of our classes don't even require experience, some of them do, some of the knitting and crochet are advanced, but we did offer beginning knitting and crochet this year. And we had people take both classes, you know. And a lot of the dyeing classes require no advanced skills, you know, or the needle felting. So, it's do you think it's having like a resurgence? Uh, yes. I definitely, I mean, just in my own studio, people are often asking me to take sewing lessons, embroidery lessons, dyeing. People want to learn how to do those things. In all ages, I have lots of kids who are doing that, but I also have lots of grown-ups, moms who are coming in and learning while their kids are in school because they didn't have home ec and they wanted to learn how to do that, you know. So. That's what
0: it seems to me. It's like everything, we kind of swing back and forth I from think technology to, mm-hmm. you know, this these more traditional forms and, yeah those of us who missed missed homework and you know really want to learn those skills I know for me I crocheting appealed to me just in general I wanted to do learn a different art form, but I honestly wanted to spend less time on my phone mm-hmm. and crocheting seemed like a really great way to do something productive with my hands yes. While I was doing the same things I was doing when I was looking at my phone, like right. I could watch TV while I'm doing right, it. Yeah. In fact, my husband loves fishing, and I quickly learned that it's a quiet sport. I thought it was a, <laughs> I thought it was a ch- chatting activity, but it, it, is, it not. is not. It is not. So when I brought my uh, crochet, it was perfect. Right, <laughs> it's like the yeah. perfect. So now um, I may be the only one that does that, but like we go fishing and I bring my crochet. You bring your crochet, and yeah. we have a great time out on the water.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. And I love that you took it at the Mississippi Craft Center. Yeah, you? yeah. I have some friends who teach there. So
0: I was the youngest so. one in the class, but I was so you know eager, and you know, like I said, it. I w- I had it halfway. But I didn't want to continue learning wrong
1: yes, you know yes. so I just
0: need I needed them to tweak it a little right, bit, but right. I was just amazed some of the people in our class were just there for a refresher. They'd been crocheting for you know twenty, thirty years uh-huh. and they just wanted to come, and I think some some of them just wanted the community of sitting around a
1: table and doing it together. Yes, so we have a big – one of the popular things at the festival is a big knitting circle, and you can go and crochet, knit, hand sew. And, I mean, for three days, that area was – populated with people sitting chatting with each other getting to know each other people sharing ideas and people like how did you do that and how did you oh I love that yarn where'd you get that and people just sitting around some people were hand sewing but mostly crochet and knitting and there's this communal aspect uh-huh. about it that's really fun. It, that makes me think you might need to, um, if you don't already, maybe you can incorporate the
0: raffle idea, right?
1: So we do have oh, raffles, good. but yeah, we do have <laughs> raffles, and those are really popular. No one dislikes a raffle,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, because, you know, it's so unique we were saying, like everybody throws in their extra pieces or yes. something we we do have on that
1: vein, we have the the fiber yarn swap. The fabric yarn oh, swap. Nice. So on Fridays, though it is a beat every day because we get <laughs> so much, but people bring in fabric and yarn that they don't want anymore and they trade it. Oh, that's fascinating. And then you can just come and get stuff because some people just dump stuff off <laughs> and we're like, please take some stuff. But it's fabulous. I always bring home great stuff. People like get People bring in the coolest, you know, what's trash to you mm-hmm. or what you don't want anymore. You know, that fabric you've had for eight years or that yarn. Somebody else is going to go home and make something with it. You know, Oh, I love that. It's so fun. I love the
0: idea of of an art form where you're kind of, you know, we as artists, like, are kind of by ourselves creating this thing, right? You know, but, but to have this other communal aspect where you're also with people, and you're sharing, and you're inspiring each other, or, you know,
1: like, just actually sharing supplies, I mean, sharing supplies, and yeah. they love that. And people do share ideas at the swap table. They're like, well, "I don't know what I would do with this." And someone's like, "You could make potholders with that," and blah, blah blah. And this is how you do it, you know. Another person's like, "Well, I'm taking that," and someone else's like, "I'm going to take some of that," you know. So it's really that's one of my, of course, I say that about all the parts of the fiber festival that they're my favorite part. But I really do love the. F- the, that was one of my things. I said, we need to have a swap. Uh-huh. And um, so that was one of the few things I incorporated. Because the festival is already pretty perfect. So, And how many years did you say? Um, so it's in its, we just had our ninth annual. So next year will be our 10-year anniversary. Wow, 10 years ten for years. the festival. I did not that. And I've only that. been um, coordinating it for three. So how many people to You become? know, usually we have. Close to a 1,000 people come through the weekend. I'm going to have to come next time. You this have is to come. It's so fun.
0: Yes. I did not realize it was so large or that it had been you going on for so long. You know, it's just in so the powerhouse. So
1: we only have about 20 vendors, you know. But um, it is, you know, it. It won't grow a lot as far as, like, the space and the vendors that we can squeeze into that area. But we have a lot of programming, so we grow the programming all the time. We have demos now all the time and as well. So if you don't want to take a class, you can just come and watch demos every hour. Um, But, yeah, we have quite a few people who come out of town, and they'll stay for the whole weekend. And is there anything you guys are
0: doing, like, throughout the year? Or is it mostly just during January? So right
1: now we're just focusing on January. But I would love to do like the film festival does where we're doing some more auxiliary programming throughout the year. And I've gotten some suggestions and some ideas of some workshops to do, you know, throughout the year. So Uh maybe it's if we spread the fiber arts love a little bit more throughout the year so do you show your work anywhere i do show my work i have um i'm a member of the artist um, guild in oxford and we have a little space over at sugar magnolia and then i am a member of the craftsman's guild in mississippi so i have work at um the craft center in ridgeland as well Okay, well, thank you again so much for joining us, and thanks
0: um, for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.